1: Hi, I'm Kara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Kroll Bennett. And we are obsessed with flipping puberty positive. Puberty is a stage of life best described as a roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts. It happens to literally every human being on earth. And it shouldn't be cringy. It should feel, you know, pretty comfortable, which is why we started this podcast and a
2: newsletter and why we film slightly ridiculous, but informative
1: social media videos. It's why we have a brand that makes clothes that literally feel so comfortable and why we write books too. Our latest is This Is So Awkward, Modern Puberty Explained. We have built a universe of puberty positivity and it all started with this podcast. We are so happy that you're here. Hi, Kara. Hi, Vanessa. If I sound really relaxed, it's because I had 24 hours away from my children. I know
2: you did. I'm a little jealous. If I sound really relaxed, it's because... you 24 I,
1: hours away from me.
2: I might have my calf stretcher underneath my desk right now. I was
1: wondering what you were doing. What that You can see me. I
2: look so funny, but oh, it feels good.
1: Yeah, I need you know, to get my little foot roller. I know. I, I have 24 hours at an inn and mm. you have a calf stretcher. Hmm. Mm. Let's see. Mm. So my flex about having time away for my children was not apropos of nothing. It was a double negative. You know what yeah, I mean? That was a lot of negative. It was not a non sequitur, another oh, double yeah, negative. Yeah. It is relevant to this week's listener question. And we got a very heartfelt and a very sad email from a listener. And it's not the first time we've gotten this question, and it won't be the last time, but we thought we would do an episode about how do you handle it when your tweens and teens are treating you like crap? Other than going away for a night. (laughs)
2: Of one strategy
1: other than just walking out the front door for 24 hours. And, you know, the pulling away, the only coming to us when they need something, the making fun of us, how we sound, how we dress, what we say, and the grief of feeling like the kid who used to love us and snuggle up with us isn't doing that anymore. And the last part of the question that felt really hard to read was that she's like, I'm pulling away now because I'm tired of being hurt by my kid. And so I find myself not engaging and not reaching out and not wanting to be with my kid. So there's a lot of questions and a lot of things we can explore. And I think if we just kind of go through the topic and try to helpful and address it because I know this listener is not the only one who's struggling with this.
2: I think that's right. And I'm going to start in a funny place. It's not where you think I'm going to (laughs) start. I'm going to start from a place of when this is not happening in your Mm. house, when you're having a good moment, you are jiving with your kid, you are connecting, you are in conversation. And the reason I want to start there is I think we don't really talk about taking a moment and having gratitude for that moment enough on this podcast. But given how common the question you described is, we get it in all different forms consistently. I think the flip side is also really important and it's a good place to start, which is when things are going well, it is not just okay. It is prescriptive. It is important for the future health of your relationship To be able to pause and recognize that things are going well in that relationship and enjoy that moment. It might be private. You might just have a moment internally. You might tell your kid, I loved that, whatever we just did, or that conversation we just had. I just want to say thank you. That was huge. And the main reason to do this is it builds the muscle memory of having good moments so that when these low points come along and we know that. There are a lot of reasons why kids end up spiraling in these mood cycles, some of them hormonal, some of them sort of bigger than just the hormonal swings of puberty. But you can remember that there are good moments too. And it's a very,
1: I think an important way into the conversation. Yeah, so fill up your bucket so that when there's a hole in the bucket, Dear Liza. I was going to start, but I won't. <laughs> and it starts to drain out that you still have some reserves. That's I think right. that's a lovely place to start, Cara, because there are wonderful moments and there are times when you can really enjoy each other. Let's talk for a minute about the reasons why kids might be behaving this way. You referred to it earlier and you know what I realized? I don't think we've ever done an episode on mood swings. I think we talk about mood swings all the time. I think maybe early, early, early days. It's so funny because as we're developing this curriculum
2: that we're working on for schools, one of the lessons that I was poking around in yesterday was a lesson that we aim at fourth graders, although frankly, it applies to all ages called emotional ups and downs. It is this, We you know, the lesson teaches kids what happens in your body and your brain to make you more emotionally reactive when you are in the early stages of puberty and throughout puberty. And and we can, do you want to do like just a a minute on the science? Yeah,
1: because I want to juxtapose that with sustained, consistent moodiness, unpleasantness, unkindness. I want to differentiate the two. So if we could do some, a little science on mood swings and then shift the focus.
2: Yeah, so here's the super top line version. When kids enter and travel through puberty, remember puberty lasts almost a decade. One of the hallmarks of that period is that hormones are shifting, the sex hormones, namely estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, are shifting, but they're not like gradually increasing or gradually decreasing. They are surging up to very, very high levels, and then they are plummeting down to very, very low levels. And it is a roller coaster of ups and downs of hormonal fluctuation. And those hormones do not just course through your body, they course through your brain as well, changing the way the neurons fire, changing the way your brain feels. And superimposed on that is a partially mature brain, a brain that is dominated. And like any listener of the Puberty Podcast knows this, a brain that is dominated by the limbic system, the limbic system being the series of structures in the middle part of the brain that are considered the emotional epicenter of the brain. So they respond to motivation. They respond to feeling good. They're the risk reward center, right? That's the part of the brain that's sending and receiving messages the fastest. Now that part of the brain that is sending and receiving messages fastest is also bathed in these hormones that is changing the reactivity of the neurons. They feel emotionally out of control at times. And this isn't just sadness, although they can start sobbing and crying for no reason. And, you know, I know we've talked about that on the podcast because that has happened in my house and I'm happy to share that My doctor husband was like, Ooh, what is happening? And is everything okay? Like, he did not recognize this as part and parcel of puberty. But also, it can be hysterical laughter. It can be, you know, any sort of emotional reaction that's outsized and sort of beyond your control. And that is an important place to begin because it's very hard to distinguish between what is. I hesitate to use the word normal, but what is a normal mood swing of puberty? And then what is something bigger that you know when your kid is pushing you away, do you have to start thinking about? And in this moment of mental health emergency, a lot of parents are thinking about much bigger mental health issues and not just some estrogen or testosterone surging. So the last little bit where I'll land is the hormonal swings of puberty happen on the order of hours. And so you should not see sustained mood highs and lows if what's happening to these hormones is shifting, you know, not necessarily hour by hour, but on sort of an hourly metric, not days or weeks or months. Your estrogen goes up for a few hours, then crashes down, then goes up. And so that's the cadence that you should be seeing when you have a child who's emotionally overreactive and it's just their hormones.
1: Right. So it's like a tornado tearing through your house, leaving, you know, broken chairs and tables in its wake. And then the kid comes back in and the storm has calmed. We're not going to spend this episode talking about this. That's a different thing than a kid for weeks or months being hostile, unkind, angry, withdrawn, and again, the mental health of it all is another topic. And we've talked to Lisa Damore about this and we've talked to Tina Payne Bryson about this and we've talked to Elisa Pressman about it, right? That is not the topic we're talking about. We're talking about what in another era would have been called like attitude, mm-hmm. right? Like sustained drama. adolescent attitude, drama. I'm trying to think of all the like dismissive Sassiness. Right. Oh, she's so sassy. I was like, oh my God. The number of times I was probably called sassy. One of my kids turned out, pulled out that term the other day. I was like, oh my God, that's a throwback. So let's go back. So now we understand what mood swings look like. And can I just put a little
2: asterisk? It is possible that a mental health issue presents in this way. So So that's 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 why you referred. Yeah. And that's why you were referring back to all these mental health experts that we've had on. It is important to go back and listen to their episodes because this is not to say that if your child has a mood swing that lasts only a couple of hours, you're in the clear and everything's fine and you can, you know, so there's a lot of information on those episodes that will help you.
1: Right. So for example, Lisa Damore will talk about how anxiety in an adolescent can actually look a lot like irritability and anger. Yes. And so again, refer back to those. But I want this episode to be more about how do we set boundaries and limits with kids who we know are in the process of individuating from us, of pulling away and then coming back for connection, of trying to establish themselves with their own identities, letting them do all of that and not letting them. Dump on us or treat us unkindly or be cruel, as we know teenagers can be, and making space for the parts of their behavior that we know are developmentally appropriate, right? The mantra from the book this is developmentally appropriate. This is developmentally appropriate. And also saying, hey, like you can't treat me this way. And so I think we can walk through, I think, a few scenarios because some of them are funny and easier to repair. And some of them are harder and more complicated. I want to say from the outset
2: that what you've described, which is completely common, right? When kids dump on us has to be also seen through the lens of they're dumping on us, which means we're the safe person for them to dump on. And it doesn't make it okay, especially when they're unkind when they dump on us. But I think when you see it through that lens, there's more space to give them grace, if you will. And it makes you, as the caretaker, feel a little bit better when you recognize what's going on. So there's that piece that I think one must hold in their mind when it's happening. It dawns on me, Vanessa, that you list all of these colleagues we have who we adore who have been on this podcast who we quote all the time who we love what makes us different what our sort of defining feature if you will is that we are not psychologists we come at this from the perspective of the biology and physiology of what is happening through this stage of life and we layer that on to stories we hear questions we get and The life experiences that people share with us. And so we're going to give you some scenarios and, you know, cross reference them with some of these other podcasts that we love and adore and cobble together the advice, knowing you get a little more biology and basic science here, and you can understand what's happening in the brain. You can understand what's happening with hormones. You get a little bit more psychology from over there. And there's a way to take all of this advice, which I think is all really good advice. There's a lot of bad advice in the world. I think this is all really good advice and cherry pick what is most useful for you and the way of thinking about it. So I want to frame this as let's, let's go through this, but we're going to lean into, to our superpower, if you will. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause.
1: We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to com slash puberty, dot com slash puberty. And you can use the code puberty10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is puberty10 at com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Vanessa,
2: we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer
1: That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal. And even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And fruity is the favorite flavor in my house.
2: Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving. It's made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and it's high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So a great choice, Vanessa.
1: You can go to magicspoon.com slash puberty to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our, you guessed it, promo code puberty at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them.
2: Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save
1: $5. Right. But I I also want to differentiate there's dumping on us like a kid comes home and is like, oh my God, I had the worst day. I think I failed my science test and also so-and-so wasn't talking to me and now I hate them and we're not friends and I lost my basketball uniform and it was like so embarrassing because I had to wear like these super tight shorts and I like, I have my period like, right, right. So there's that dumping and then there's the kid which who comes, doesn't feel bad generally, right? Well, you're like worried and oh God, they're in a fight right, with You're friend worried. and like did people see them and that like, yes, and, and did they actually fail their test? But and, it's not mean. But it's not mean. And then there's the kid who comes home and was like, what are you wearing? Like you look so yeah. ugly today and like, why are you even right. talking to me right now? I don't want you to talk to me. I have stuff to do. And like, why are you always following me around the house? Like, can you just give me some right. space? I'm like, no, I don't want to eat dinner with you. Like, you're so annoying. Why would I want to sit with you? And like, or I hate you. Or I hate you. Or you're an asshole or you're stupid, right? Like. Yes. And the funny thing about that very painful litany of comments is that, The flip side of that behavior, which is teenagers, like brutal honesty Mm. can also be like wonderfully enlightening and insightful and hilarious when it's not aimed cruelly at you, right? Like if they're like, oh my God, we saw this thing on the street and it was so funny. And this, like, so I think separating two kinds of dumping, wait, before you interrupt me, I'm just going to finish the point. Okay. I'm listening. So there's the two kinds of dumping. One is like, you're my safe place. I'm letting this off my chest. The other is mean. But what I want us to do is think about where does that meanness come from? Because my belief is that a person who's feeling good about themselves, it's much easier for that person to be kind to other people. And a person who's not feeling so great about themselves will often be unkind to others because of how they're feeling in themselves. Okay, go, Cara.
2: I'm so proud of myself for holding this thought while you (laughs) said all that, Um, because it's related to that, which is I want to set one more ground rule for how you go into these scenarios. And that is be mindful of how the other people living in the house or the other adults in the situation, how they factor into this dynamic. Because there are really three ways they can factor in. They can either be Switzerland and take a side and be like, I'm out. They can be on sort of, and I hate to say make it sides, but they can be on your side. They can be protective of you, which can make the kid feel more defensive and speaks exactly to what you were just describing. Or, and this I see a lot, they can immediately swoop in and defend the kid. Sometimes because they see the kid as a little bit in need of defense, and sometimes because they are so afraid of losing, maybe they're the favored parent right then. They're not getting dumped on, right? Because we've talked about this a lot. Like yep. that that role trades off a lot yep. um, among adult caretakers in a house, and they want to hold on to that role. What do they do? They come in as the superhero, and how that other adult or those other adults in the house interact in the dynamic really affects the way you are going to respond. So we're going to talk about this a little bit just like you and the kid, but let's not forget that how that other adult or those other adults behave is a layer. And it's actually a very big layer.
1: And if there are other kids in the house, how this kid, this person is treating the other kids in the house. That's right. Or if the other kids in the house are mimicking the behavior of this person making you feel not just one kid is dumping on you in a cruel way, but more than one kid. And then you're alone. And I want to add a final variable, which is if you are parenting on your own and you don't have a co-parent in your house and just feeling absolutely trapped as the only one. I mean, as my kids... Which is a huge me, issue. It's a huge issue. And we got this question a lot on the road from parents mm-hmm. who felt really disconnected from their kids and really struggling to reach their kids. And maybe we even start there, car, because the answer to that one was actually, in this particular case, almost the simplest. And one of our listeners in the audience came up to us during the book signing and said, I've actually deputized my best friend to be the trusted adult while my kid currently doesn't want me to be the trusted adult. And so that was the answer in that case with a single parent who was totally disconnected from her kid, who was dealing with this very unhappy, aggressive behavior. And luckily she had cultivated a relationship between her kid and this other adult and that person became the trusted adult.
2: And I think that skill can be used in a home where there's more than one adult too, because what it does is it reassigns the role of the other adult, not to be the savior of one or the savior of the other, but instead to play the role of the sounding board and the advisor and the limit setter. Because we all know that whether it's someone who's living in your house or someone who's outside of your house, kids need that person. And if they're butting up against you and that person doesn't exist in your house, being able to pick a best friend to deputize to is the biggest gift in the world. And if there is someone else living in the house, you can do the same thing. I've actually done that. I've had little windows with my kids where it's not so much, we're not confrontational people, which is actually not a great thing. Like I think there's a lot of healthiness about being able to fight in a healthy way and to get your feelings out in a healthy way. We tend to be not confrontational people in my house That has manifest in like a different type of communication lock occasionally from time to time. And whether it's me or my husband, we will literally deputize the other person to be the go-to parent. But for those single parents out there, and we get this question, what's interesting, Vanessa, is I would say the majority of time they come and people are identifying as a single parent by choice. And what I find interesting about that is what they're saying to us in that sentence is, I chose this. So I feel like I have no right to complain. No, you have every right to have every feeling that every other parent is having. And so when you don't, whether you're single by choice or single not by choice, for sure, that advice that came from that audience member is gold.
1: Single parent, not single unpartnered single. Correct. (laughs) Thank you for clarifying. So you talked a little bit about with the two parents, right? Let's talk about the sibling stuff because what we often hear is either siblings being really unkind to each other and how to make space for kids to be grumpy, moody, unhappy, up and down in a tough spot, but setting boundaries and limits for them in their behavior, not just towards you, but towards their siblings. And Kari, you and I grew up in an era when, I mean, there's no way to sugarcoat this. Kids were really shitty to each other. And it was like totally acceptable. Like adults did not step in when there was teasing, taunting, really mean comments being said by siblings to each other, not to mention like siblings beating the crap out of each other. You know, it was the seventies and eighties where like, parents apparently like it took a decade long break to like drink their tab and smoke their Virginia Slims. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know. think
2: tab or Virginia Slims is going to advertise on this podcast now. Luckily,
1: they would be on our blocked list of potential (laughs) advertisers. So I think about how do we set boundaries? And I was actually talking to someone recently about their family text group. It wasn't even like around the dinner table, but how they treated each other in the text group. I mean, most people have like a WhatsApp group or a family text group, and it's often very funny. And mine is like mostly sending pictures of our dog to each other. So... I think you have to have certain no-fly zones, and we've talked about this before, but I think there have to be certain, like there's like a team agreement about things we do not make fun of each other for or dump on each other about. So like in my house, there's no like making fun of or commenting on people's like body shape or size or weight.
2: Okay, but, and you've mentioned this in many podcasts before, so I want to answer the question that I think listeners have. How did you come to that agreement? Was it that someone said something oh, that was that's hurtful? easy. That's my baggage. Correct. So I think that piece is really important to identify.
1: Right. So I like, think everyone's going to have different no-fly zones because also some families are just, everyone's naturally thin and it's like not an issue or some families live in communities where like body size and weight is like, but the other one, I just want to say the other one because this is actually has its own thing you don't comment on people's intelligence, their academic achievement, their intelligence. And the way we came to that one is because I have different kids who are different learners and have different natural abilities as students. And it's sometimes glaringly obvious how wide apart they are in their, you know, grades or abilities or achievements. And I notice just like about, body shape and size, I noticed they were sort of, that was the low hanging fruit of how they went to each other when they were in crappy moods. And I was like, yeah, we're not because I know, and I'm just the last point I'll make, being married to someone who is a different learner, he has carried with him his whole life being crapped on by people close to him about his quote intelligence when they just didn't understand his brain. So that's how we came to ours.
2: I know I said we're not therapists, but I'm about to sound like a therapist. It sounds like you're saying, <laughs> sounds like you're saying, Vanessa, that the listener question was about being dumped on, but it really doesn't matter who is being dumped on. That there are teachable moments, right, in everyone's life where it might be you and it might be you bearing witness to this happening to someone else when there is dumping going on. There is a place to stop and interject some conversation and set some limits. And to your point about the meanness of generations past, some of it I think was social convention was different. Some of it I think was that we didn't carry around these devices that could record and document everything and then pass it forward forever and ever and ever. And so, it was at least my memory most of it was isolated like my brothers were tormenting me without an adult actually there so when i went to report what happened it was me versus them and it was sort of put my parents in this position of having to decide who was right and who was wrong i was always i was always right but they didn't always see it that way but you know now there are photos and videos and audio recordings and all these things that document it. And I do think that, you know, there are a lot of pros and cons about tech, but this has driven the adults and kids' lives to step into certainly formal bullying in a much more proactive way. So I think that's a big net positive of these devices is that it has sort of forced the adults and kids' lives to step in and say, oh, no, 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 this is not okay. And I I think what you're doing is applying that same lesson and limit to watching the dumping, not necessarily bullying, but dumping that happens when you see it among your kids. Um, And I think that's a great tip, which is it just doesn't always have to be you being the victim when they're dumping on you, but when you see it elsewhere in your house.
1: Well, you create a a culture of what's acceptable and what's not, and there are boundaries and limits. And It takes us to the Elisa Pressman advice that we love so much, which is all feelings are welcome. All behaviors are not. And this was a question we got a lot on the road. Like, oh, well, you're talking about having empathy for their mood swings and their decision-making because they can't totally help it. But then like, how are you setting boundaries? And it's like, no, no, you can still set boundaries while having empathy for the fact that they're riding this crazy roller coaster without a seatbelt, like they can take a pause. You can help them learn how to not spout every awful thing that comes to mind because they're pissed off or they're upset or, you know, they're annoyed at you that you won't let them go meet up with friends or whatever it is. So I think that was a really common question and we can call that into practice here, which is setting that boundary. I want to land with some really
2: practical advice and I want to ground the advice in the biology. So, We love when Tina Payne Bryson describes the hot brain as being one that you shall not engage with, right? I mean, when when emotions- Commandment
1: 11, thou shalt not fight fire with fire.
2: And that is simply basic neurobiology that an amped up brain that is angry and rageful is not a brain that is open to hearing constructive criticism And gentle redirection. It just, that brain needs to cool and that brain needs to calm down before you do your life shift of this is going to be the new set of limits. And this is how we're going to, right? So there's what to do in the heat of the moment and there's what to do once things have cooled down. And I'll start with what to do when things have cooled down because this is my favorite. And I think you're particularly talented at what to do in the heat of the moment. When things have calmed down, grab a moment of, Ease. You got to go get a snack, take a dog walk, do whatever, and reflect on what happened. Hey, I don't want to relive the yada, yada, yada that happened yesterday, but I do want to talk about it because it didn't feel good for me and it couldn't have felt good for you. So let's talk, at which point you zip it. It's very hard for me to do. And you listen, and it might be listening to silence for a little bit and you let them start to talk and let them start to open up. If they don't, we get this question all the time and enough time has gone by. You can prompt with a question. Can you tell me what was going on? You know, I'm curious to understand, was there something more that happened in your day? You know, however you can get to it, avoiding yes, no questions as much as possible. But then when things are quiet and calm, you can go, okay, it's not okay to say those things to me. It, does, it feels terrible. And it's not okay for me to say those things to you because maybe you said something in the heat of the moment too. So like in the moment of calm, I encourage you to take the opportunity to then reset the limits and shift the path a little bit.
1: And they may say to you like, oh, I I don't care. Like, I don't care how you feel. Like go away, right? They may not be open to listening, but what you've done for them is you've modeled what it's like when someone treats you poorly and how to stand up for yourself. That's right. And you're putting that on record and it may feel like you're a broken record and it may feel like they don't hear anything you said, but trust me, that is going in the vault with other things that you said. So what do you do in the heat of the moment? And I want to get back to this parent's question about withdrawing. In the heat of the moment, it's very normal. It's actually great to withdraw. In that moment and not engage, right? We're not fighting fire with fire. We're going to say, you know what? I'm going to take a minute. You're like really in it right now. I don't want to say something I'm going to regret. I'm going to go to my room. I'm going to read for a little bit. You can come find me when you're ready to talk, right? So, like, literally remove yourself from the situation. However, removing yourself from the situation permanently tells that kid, hey, you behave this way. I can't handle your behavior. Therefore, I'm going to step away and I'm not going to come back. And what these kids need to know is that we are there. We love them unconditionally. We're going to stand up for ourselves. We're going to set limits. We're going to make it clear what behavior is okay and not okay. But we are not going anywhere. And in this case, we have to be the adults. We have to grow thick skin because they need us to be there for them when they're little shits and when they're amazing. And at every moment in between, because it may feel like they don't want us around and they don't care about us, but God, do they need us during these years? And we have to prove over and over again that we will be there. So to this listener, I hope this helps. If everyone can remember Cara's point at the beginning, hold on to the good moments because they're there. And finally, they do come back. I promise they come back. Sometimes they come back in intermittent moments. And sometimes when they get a little more mature, they come back in a sustained and beautiful way. So don't lose hope.
2: That was so beautiful, Vanessa. Thank
1: you. Bye, Cara. Bye. Bye. We absolutely love hearing your feedback and getting all your questions. So anytime you want to be in touch, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. If you're looking for great puberty products like the Oom shorts or the Oom socks or the Oom bra, you get the theme there, go to myoomla.com. If you want more content, you love what we do on the Puberty Podcast and you want to have us come speak or learn more about our book or subscribe to our amazing newsletter, The Awkward Roller Coaster, go to orderofmagnitude.co. Remember, it's .co because we don't have enough money to buy .com.
0: Yet.
2: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and
0: 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week.